you. So you always think you're a special snowflake on the internet, like, I'm so unique, and I chose the uniquiest name, and I thought I was finally done being Lucy from the Lego movie and changing my internet handles every five minutes, but it turns out there are other people out there using the name Professional Dork. And if it makes me feel better, I can maintain that I'm the coolest, and I was the first one to snag it for Patreon, but... There are a few of our audiences that have been a little confused as to which one of us was which. And even I myself had to have a few moments where I'm confused as to whether or not I did that. So, in the interest of brand recognition and not being a jerkwad and continuing my saga of general but mild fail, I have to change my Patreon name. But if that was going to happen, better now when there's less people to inconvenience, right? So the new name will be That Dork Anne at Patreon. And you should all check it out because I just put up new stuff. There's an episode where I talk about chapters 15 through 17 of Pokemon Adventures. Red gets duped by a pretty girl. And then there's also one of my movie music collaborations with the PokePress site. So you want to be heading that way. Support the show, listen to some Pokemon, and when we inevitably run into another That Dork Anne, because you're never as special of a snowflake as you think you are, when we meet her, we want me to be so big and famous that she changes her name. Mm -hmm. I'll have links on my blog to that uh, Pokemon Adventures episode, and I'll be busy changing all of the links so that they all go to the right place now. Honestly... I think the name change will be a bigger headache for me than for all of you, but please check out the new episode covering Pokemon Adventures, aka Pokemon Special. In the meantime, hi, welcome, welcome, you have stumbled on a Pokemon anime podcast. My name is Anne, and as you may have guessed, I am a dork who can't make the internet work, but I really, really, really love the Pokemon anime. Like, really. So I go through all the episodes and talk about the story and the characters and how they're growing up in their own timeless ways. And today is going to be a day full of backstory. We're diving into Pokemon Chronicles, uh, the side stories, and walking down memory lane with Team Rocket. And if that's not enough Pokemon fun for you, we have a sponsor called PokePress, who is off at the Pokemon North American International Competition in Columbus, Ohio. I don't believe he's competing, though if you play any side matches, Steven, best of luck to you. Uh, but he's got a video up to preview the event, and I imagine we'll see some videos and interviews out of it once he gets back home. So definitely mosey your way on over to his YouTube channel to stay up on that. You can find out more about the event and, and <laughs> Pokemon real world competitions. You people who can do that are stars. I can't. I have a really shiny Meloetta card and no idea how to use it. I just stare at it and my eyes glaze over. But someone out there is playing cards and video games and winning things, and Steven from PokePress is happy to tell you all about it. You can find PokePress on YouTube or at pokepress.blogspot.com, and of course I'll have links on my blog page, which I'll give you info for at the end of the episode. So let's get to that episode before Ash has a conniption about so many, so much screen time not spent on him. We are covering the side story episode, Training Days. We have the origin of Jesse, James, and Meowth, at least as members of Team Rocket. Obviously, they were doing things before they, they joined an evil mob. Now, one thing we know about the late Johto, early Hoenn region was how at that point in the franchise, we were just realizing that this show has real legs. The series could go on for a very long time, as long as they keep making new regions and new things for Ash to challenge. 
through multiple, multiple seasons and multiple decades. And the writers couldn't rely on that spirit of loose anarchy anymore that characterized much of Indigo League. It had its charms, certainly for me, but it doesn't work so well when you're trying to have super long-form storytelling and solid world-building to go along with it. There was a lot of stuff said in Indigo League that was really fun at the time, but does not sustain over decades of concepts that have to be built upon it then. So about the time of switching over from Johto to Hoenn, there was all this attention to hammering out just what the rules of the universe were. How does Pokemon training work? What are everyone's relationships to each other? A lot more established facts and continuity. And it was beautiful because that's how my nerdy soul loves it. With this episode, we get a definitive beginning for Team Rocket, as we know them, being Jesse, James, and Meowth. And in doing this, it does contradict a few of the wild and crazy episodes of Indigo League, like the bridge by gang and such. But I have two thoughts about this. First of all, the new version is better. It's more thought out and more emotionally satisfying and will support additional bricks in the story being built upon it in the future. Second, it doesn't contradict the past so hard that you can't make some of the old continuity work. If you you know, do a little bit of acrobatics in your mind, but if you really wanted Jesse and James to be riding unicycles in a bike gang, it, it is a stretch, but you can find a way to make that old history have a place for you. And I usually imagine it like they took a break from being Team Rocket or were so old friends that they weren't quite sure it was them at first until after they'd known each other for a while. And then it's like, oh my gosh, we took that one class together in college. It's been so long. Or also that Jesse and James straight up lied about some stuff. They do that. So however you like to play it, if you are like so emotionally committed to some of the crazy Kanto origin stories for Jesse and James, you can make them work. Their lives are crazy enough. Like we'll accept some strange coincidences and whatever bizarre explanation you can come up with. If you want to take this as a solid retcon they have never met before this day and that stuff never happened ever, you can also do that. It doesn't matter because this story with Team Rocket, whether it is their first ever meeting or not, is really good. So let's get into it. The episode opens with Team Rocket blasting off in the present. I'm not sure which time this is that they blasted off, it almost doesn't matter, it happens so often. And that's James's thought, too. As they're flying through the air, he's like, Guys, we need to rethink some stuff in our lives. This is getting a little futile. And as he's searching his pockets for a flotation device to save them on the descent, his bottle cap collection starts tumbling out of his pockets. Oh no. This is one of the few shining things in his life. Maybe the only thing keeping James in his happy place. <laughs> they all fly off on the wind, but one catches on Meow's nose and sticks there. And James sees it's got a big old red R on it. The bottle cap's a bit beat up and weathered, which is fitting because James says it's from their training days a long time ago. But he's kept it for the memories, and Jesse even seems touched to go on that trip down memory lane. And so, flashback! Jesse tells us about all the crazy training simulations and things they had to do. And this one time where she got lowered into a room Mission Impossible style to steal an Articuno statue, and the rope got stuck halfway. 
And just because it says training doesn't mean safety first. Rocket grunts are expendable, remember? Jessie legit thought her life could be in danger. But in the flashback, uh, the rope issue gets resolved for a second, and Jessie... I really don't know how much this statue weighs, but she just wraps her arms around its neck and her poor partner Junbei and his manky haul her into the air. All is going well, surprisingly, until uh, her partner loses his grip and then Jessie goes plummeting with the statue. Junbei grabs the rope, but Jessie can't keep her grip on the statue after all of that, so the statue crashes into the ground and it sets off all the alarms. The room basically starts self-destructing and Jessie's like, well... Can't have inept teammates holding me back. She unhooks herself from the climbing gear and runs out of the room, leaving behind her partner and the Mankey. The test concludes. Mankey has fainted. Junbei is much the same. <laughs> and the instructor is a little furious. Apparently, Jesse goes through partners like they're going out of style. They all end up abandoned and injured, and, that, and the training missions aren't a success. Not that Jesse feels remorse. It's not her fault, they just keep giving her sucky teammates. Well, the instructor gives the report to the boss, Giovanni. Junbei is not the only trainee injured or worse, and thus taken out of training. There's kind of a moment of wait as he flips through uh, all the pictures of the trainees and the ones with the X's. He's like, yeah, rocket grunts are expendable. Uh, but apparently Giovanni needs some new field agents, and Jesse is still alive and capable of walking, so she's still in training. That, and the instructor does see some potential in her, some ability that he hasn't seen in any other trainee. And I admit, as much as Jesse isn't evil at heart, per se, there is a ruthlessness to her that is perfectly at ease in Team Rocket. I'll say she gets that from her mother... Meanwhile, Cassidy, leader of Blue Team, she's getting high marks with her partner Butch. So there's some tension there between the two young women. They, they try to best each other in workouts, they trash talk in the locker room. But Cassidy kind of has more leverage in these fights, given that she has an actual partner. I'm interested that the organization is so eager to have Jesse in a pair. It, it might just be part of protocol and you know, how they manage the brainwashing and such. But we do know that some Team Rocket agents, special agents, can work solo. So even though it seems, for whatever reason, Jesse has to work with a partner to be able to pass training, it could be she has great potential and promise in her future as an agent, maybe as a special agent like Domino. And that could be what the instructor sees. Regardless, it is decided to give Jesse another try, but in the meantime, Meowth bursts in on the meeting. Our Meowth. Walking and talking like a human. And the Team Rocket grunt that lets him in, he looks so weirded out. Like, I just love reminders like this when people react like, OMG, a talking Meowth and it walks, my gosh. Like, that is how you should always react to Meowth, really. Meowth asserts that he wants to be a Team Rocket agent. Just give him the chance. I think what he really wants is three meals a day. Poor guy is kind of starved. But Giovanni decides to keep him around for a bit. After all, a Pokemon that can speak human? Invaluable. Let alone a Pokemon who wants to be with them. Doesn't have to be kidnapped? Like I said, invaluable. Well, the moment arrives. On a rooftop lit by the setting sun, the instructor introduces Jesse to James. And I like to think there's a moment of zhing you going through their minds, but if this is their first meeting, 
cool. Very cool. Frosty, even. They don't hit it off like besties. But James has enough attitude to go head-to-head with Jessie, and she likes that. There's a bit of mutual respect for each other's confidence. We'll see how long it lasts. And in their training exercises, they seem like a good match. Not because they work well together, but because they can keep up with each other. And I gotta say, I love this. Team Rocket being tough and not buffoonish, especially James. Remember there was once a time they were legit scary. They were some of the best field agents. And I like that this highlights that. I think some of the edge gets taken off in English because James's English voice is deliberately kind of clownish for comedic effect. And so it shaves off a lot of his emotional range when we get an episode like this. But even so... Like, especially if you listen to Kojiro in Japanese, I, I get chills. Like, my happy Ikemen son, what has happened to you? Jesse and James are cold. They are ruthless. They are the Team Rocket agents you don't want to meet in a dark alley. And it's just a nice reminder that as much as their lives have changed, as well as their effectiveness, that has not gone away. That is still a part of themselves that they can whip out when they need to, and in some seasons, they do. But today, it's that's all they are, and they have stuff to prove. Such baggage. We've seen enough backstory episodes with them. We can take a guess at the, what the baggage is, but there, there is no option for kindness here. They are all hard edges and walls. I really, if this was their trajectory... I always make the joke that, like, they meet Ash and something just breaks. They go from incredibly effective Team Rocket agents to a pain in Giovanni's neck in an instant. But maybe that's not the case. Because while they show promise here as spies and evil people, they are less. It's obvious they're less. It's why Jessie's not passing her training. And honestly, maybe meeting Ash is what finally fixes them. Well... Meowth is not cutting it as Giovanni's gopher, but that's fine. They're going to put him in the field, but not as a field agent as was Meowth's dream. Remember what we know of Meowth. He wants power, he wants respect, and he wants to be treated with all the deference and privilege that comes with being human. He wanted to be human. He wants now to be equal to a human doing the same job, walking and talking and looked at as one of them. He wants to be a field agent, not a field agent's Pokemon. So there's an interesting moment and several throughout the episode that get really downplayed, but you see that he's not getting that and he thinks he should. Like where he meets Jesse and James and he's trying to relate to them as humans. Like, you know, just treat me like one of the gang. And they're like, something is off about that Pokemon. And often Cassidy and others will talk about Jesse like you are all alone you don't have a partner when Meowth is standing right beside her and trying to pull his equal weight and it doesn't like I said it's so downplayed but I love that that's always a factor Meowth wants to be an equal member of the trio and Jesse and James you know in future episodes that we know them treat him as such but to the rest of the world Meowth is is the Pokemon he can be overlooked and that's That's awful for Meowth, and it's kind of awful in the sense that, aside from some of the characters we've grown to really love, such as Ash, and how Ash treats, say, Pikachu and some of his other Pokemon, 
a lot of the world looks at Pokemon that way. Despite sharing the world with them and them being partners, you don't have to see them on your level. And it makes the characters like Jesse and James and how they treat Meowth and how Ash treats his Pokemon, how Misty treats a lot of her Pokemon, and, and, you know, and the like. There are many, many wonderful, perfect characters in this world who coexist as equals with Pokemon. But it makes them all the more special when you're reminded of how literally Meowth wants to take that. And because of how Pokemon are perceived in human society, he's not going to get that. And there are probably all sorts of parallels and metaphors that we could draw to our society today on that exact, exact issue. But, f but for now, the next exercise for our trio and several other trios is basically wilderness training, like the Boy Scouts or something. They've got to make it to a certain location in 24 hours, a limited amount of food and water. Good luck, don't die. <laughs> so within seconds of the hiking montage, Meowth has eaten all of his food and drank the water and not thought to at least fill up the bottle when they pass the river. Meanwhile, the going is tough. Team Rocket grunts are climbing mountains and they're slogging through mud. Meowth has trouble keeping up and being Meowth will not do the going into a Pokeball thing like all the other Pokemon are doing. But James, my EK man son with a heart of gold, I knew he was in there somewhere. He takes pity on Meowth, carries him across rivers and up cliffs. He gives Meowth his own bread and water. And all that he asks in return is that he keeps the bottle cap for his collection. <laughs> James, you are too good for this team. Anyway, his acts of kindness inspire Jesse later. At night, when James and Meowth are drifting off, she hears their stomachs rumbling, so she splits some of her bread with them. And it's a sort of grudging friendship that blossoms, but we have literal breaking bread here, so I have hope. And now we have a bit of a translation change here, one that actually matters, or else I wouldn't bring it up. In English, the dialogue is mostly about James having hopes that they'll be a team together, the greatest, and, and maybe a sense of belonging, and I don't know if it was just too hard to translate literally to fit the lip flaps or what, but the original dialogue has James referencing a line he had earlier about not running away, and now, while they're in the dark of night and half asleep, he tells Jesse it was a lie. He's been running away his whole life. Which is subtext we kind of suspected after, you know, meeting his parents and the journey we've been on already with James. Jesse says she's in the same boat, and she's never really had friends or belonging. And the two vow that, you know, they're going to stop running away, and they're going to be the best team. And even though Meowth is sleeping, he agrees. Okay. So in the morning, they've got to cross a rope bridge over a ravine. That thing has death written all over it. I can see why Meowth does not want to cross. But it's the only way, I guess, and they want to win. So Jesse resolves to go. James backs her up. And then has to give Meowth the be brave, I'll help you pep talk. Jessie makes it across with, I won't say no problems, but she doesn't die. But when Meowth and James cross, the rope bridge snaps and James makes a quick decision. Rather than jump and save himself, he throws Meowth over. Jessie grips Meowth and James grips Meowth's tail as the bridge goes tumbling into the rushing water. And now the two of them are dangling there, Jessie trying to pull them both up. She can't. They're going to all go over in a minute. So James makes another decision. He lets go of Meowth's tail. Because really, he's too good to be in the evil business. He drops into the water. And then we cut to a hospital. 
James is covered from head to toe in bandages. The doctor is saying it doesn't look like he'll ever be back in action. Just, wow. So, on that note, now Jesse is flying solo. She, Butch, and Cassidy have one final test. They have to break into a penthouse and steal a Snorlax. Like, good luck. And Jesse has to do it with just Meowth. They've got to steal the thing before Butch and Cassidy, then rendezvous with the Team Rocket helicopter on the roof, and escape. For this test, failure is real. They're going in without any help or safety net from Team Rocket. They get caught, they go to jail. And there will be no bailouts. I'm, I'm guessing if they dare to tell the police they're with Team Rocket and give up any info, they'll be mysteriously incapacitated the next morning. Like, this is very serious. If one trainee passes, though, the pair will be made full Team Rocket agents. But Jesse's team is just her. Well, her and Meowth, much as no one but herself counts him. Remember, everyone does not consider Meowth an equal partner. He's just the Pokemon. Well, the time comes. Butch and Cassidy climb the skyscraper with their little magnet things. And props to Raticate for managing to use those in its little paws without opposable thumbs instead of just going up in the Pokeball. Team Solidarity, you go, Raticate. As for Jessie, well, she's disheartened. Even if she can find a way up to the penthouse, she'll always be alone. And she's realizing she doesn't like it. Failure is kind of turning into the story of her life. Despite all her attitude, she wanted to be on a team, and James showed her it could be nice. Even being vulnerable for a minute could be nice. And having someone to back you up in those vulnerable times, it would have been great. So she's lost her mojo. What's the point? She won't get what she wants if she wins this challenge, not really. And it's not like she believes in the mission of Team Rocket. And that's when James steps out of the bushes. Not running away, backing her up just like he promised. Covered head to toe in bandages. And while it does kind of kill the dramatic moment, I do kind of love his English dialogue when he rips off the bandages and shows he's got his full Team Rocket gear on. He's like, let's boogie! It's, oh my. But yeah, James isn't healed. Like, he probably should still be in that hospital. But his teammates need him and he's not running away anymore. So, synchronize your watches, people. The mission is on. Butch and Cassidy entered in high. Jesse and James are going in low, entering, entering the building from the basement. And there's a montage of both teams avoiding traps, and... I don't know, this whole mansion is giving me vibes of that time Seto Kaiba built, like, this entire theme park skyscraper thing just to kill Yugimuto or take his cards or whatever. Like, in my head, that's exactly who they're robbing. This building is so hardcore. I feel... Like, The Rock needs to be testing it in a summer action movie where his family's chilling on the top floor or something. Well, somehow Jesse and Cassidy both end up on the top floor with their teams at the exact same time, facing each other with a Snorlax between them. Equally as astonishing, Cassidy gets Butch's name right. He's thrilled. Well, they rush forward and fall down, of all things, in a hole trap. James and Meowth didn't see this development, and they rush into the room too late for Jesse's warning. The floor opens up underneath, and Jesse has to dive to catch them. And now, in a nice echo to a previous scene, Jesse is grabbing onto Meowth, who is himself grabbed onto by James. And it's excruciatingly painful. A similar predicament to the last time, only this time, there's an alarm and real jail time if Jesse doesn't get out of here. And a hard landing for her boys if she does. 
Honestly, given James's injuries, I'm not sure how much more of this he can survive anyway. So Jesse has a choice to make. Her last partner, Junbei, she'd have dropped him. Character development says she won't drop James. In fact, she and Meowth are going to preempt James's attempt to drop himself because for the second time, he's going to let go of Meowth's tail for the good of the team. They won't let him. They grab onto him with all they have. The, the greatest team in history doesn't leave a man behind and it's not afraid of the police. With great struggle, they pull James up. Then they get to work outfitting Snorlax's cage with, of all things, a sort of hot air balloon device, and they rise up towards the ceiling and the helicopter and freedom. But Snorlax has an alarm clock beside it, and when that thing goes off, well, this red Snorlax is the first one I've ever seen actually respond to an alarm clock, so good for it. Of course, that is because it is not a Snorlax at all. It is the drill sergeant in disguise, and that alarm means their time is up. They didn't make it out of the building, so maybe there never was any real threat of jail. Maybe this whole skyscraper thing is a ruse and a test site for Team Rocket. But now, Jesse, James, and Meowth have to wait for a panel to decide if they're going to become agents or not. Butch and Cassidy are there too, covered in bandages and broken arms. Butch has a pair of crutches. They're not looking so good. Eradicate certainly looks like it could be doing better. Poor Eradicate. As it turns out, no one finished the assignment, really, but the mission was set up to be near impossible for that reason, and Jesse's team came the closest, like feet away from the goal close. I, I totally thought they were going to be like, screw getting seen by the police, we are stealing that Snorlax right now and just like go through with the mission. They might not have gotten away without a trace, but they might have still gotten away with the prize out of sheer determination and audacity, as does fuel many of their modern-day crimes. So they will be awarded agent status. Cassidy and Butch will be villains in training, so basically almost agents. Agents with training wheels. Don't feel too bad for them, we know they get there eventually. For now, our Team Rocket can get to work on being the most infamous villains they can be. What I want to know, though, is how long it took for them to see those black unitards and just be like, nope. We are going to dye them white and take some scissors to the midsection and just go nuts. So cut back to present day, where the trio has blasted off again for the millionth time. Jesse's like, what happened to us? And James is, well, being evil takes dedication. We'll get there. And so with that optimism, the team of four resolved to double their efforts because now they have Wobbuffet on the team too. But you know, I think their goals have changed. And the reason Team Rocket isn't succeeding at evil is because they've started succeeding at other things. Things that don't get them a lot of cred with Giovanni or even the audience some days, but things that make them truly happy. The team has expanded and they are filled with hope for the future, not desperation. So they go blasting off with joy, soon to reappear in Ash's life again and cause more havoc. <laughs> so that ends the episode, and it does, as much as it pains me to, like, now have so much incongruity and, and lack of clarity surrounding some of the past episodes that dealt with their backstories, I really do feel that this is an improvement. I feel that this version of how Jesse James and Meowth meet and join Team Rocket and all the like better explains their motivations and their story arcs that we've been dealing with over the course of the series, as well as reinforcing the best parts of the Team Rocket narrative that 
these guys really are quite talented and they really were some of Team Rocket's best agents. And the reason, or well, part of the reason they are so full of fail now is because you are clearly trying to cram square pegs into round holes with these guys. All three of them are misfits and they don't belong and they're running away and, and you know, finding failure everywhere they go because wherever they go, the world is trying to turn them into something that they just aren't. Meowth can speak human, he can walk because he wanted that for himself and he will never be able to go back and, like, be caught by a trainer and fight in Pokemon battles or Pokemon contests or, or you know, do anything like a normal Pokemon would. But he is going to struggle to find a place where he can be everything he wants to be. That place is with Jesse and James. And Jesse, we know her journey through poverty and, and failed career choices and, and, and like the obstacles she's come across have been largely due to circumstances. Again, not having money, the fact that she went to Chansey Nurse School instead of human being nurse school. Like, Jesse, despite all appearances, is so hardworking and driven and ambitious. And sometimes that's how these criminal organizations find young people, is, is capitalizing on that feeling of being unlucky or like they just can't get a break. And here is someone who will take me as I am and give me the chance I never had. And Jesse could have done well as just an evil member of Team Rocket, but she succeeds so much better with James and Meowth. And James as well, like, again, he too, capable Team Rocket agent, cold and ruthless when he needs to be, but that's not who he is, and he can be who he is. He can even be comfortable in being his, you know, slightly more wooby self with James and Meowth. And the fact that the three of them have found that in each other is amazing. The fact that they're still trying to execute the patterns other people are setting for them by working for Team Rocket is why they don't succeed. And we've seen it time and time again. The second they leave what everyone expects them to do behind, whether they start running a small business, whether they start legit trying to train Pokemon for contests, no cheating involved, once they leave behind what Team Rocket expects them to be and what the Torps expect them to be, etc., they shine. So I feel like the problem with Team Rocket is not that they are inherently full of fail. Like, this episode proves they're not. Their problem is they're still not sure what they are. The only thing that they really are sure of is that they will achieve their ultimate destiny together. And there's something beautiful in that. And it kind of helps you keep rooting for them even as they are the bad guys. And being impressed by them even though they will continue to fail rather a lot over the course of the series. And it doesn't seem so out of place at the moments when suddenly they are succeeding at life in a good sense or they are, in a less good sense, ruthless and conniving and, like, just killing it as members of Team Rocket in Best Wishes. <laughs> there are so many facets to this trio of Team Rocket and I feel like this, this origin episode really lays the groundwork so that all of that can exist together. And it doesn't feel like a stretch. And like I said, as much as it pains me to have discrepancies in the canon, I will hold fast that this is the episode that matters. This is the episode that makes Team Rocket work in the past, in the future, and they will continue to work 
you know, decades from now if the series is still going because of everything this episode established. I think it's very important and it's sweet. And the voice acting, because they had to go back into the past, because you are dealing with a Jesse and a James that are less wild and crazy and full of life. They're like, again, they're cold. They are, they are hard edges and ruthless. And that comes out in the vocal performance. And I do think, especially for James, you lose a little edge just to, because of how they are chosen to play 90% of the time. It, it, it just makes it harder to utilize that actor's full emotional range when, you know, serious times go down. But but still, a bit of that, you know, 180-degree change in the line delivery from the voice actors, like, it's enough to make your blood run cold. It's just like, holy. And it makes you appreciate what a place they came from to where they are now. It, ah, I love my characters. I love them so much. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this a podcast. We'll have a little bit more of Pokemon Chronicles before we get back to the main series and Ash's uh, pursuit of gym battles and May's pursuit of contests. We'll hold our main characters for a little while. If you want to keep up with the podcast, you can visit us at pcappypodcast.blogspot.com where you can also find links to my Patreon and all the other um, all the other links and sites that I mentioned at the top of the episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at pcappypodcast. Or send an email to pcappypodcast at gmail.com if you're full of comments and thoughts about Team Rocket's origin story. You can also find us on iTunes and anywhere else that fine podcasts are, are catched. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. This has been Pcappy Podcast. Gotta catch them all. <laughs>